A startup is a company working to solve a problem where the solution is not obvious and success is not guaranteed. And when your startup is trying to innovate the way commercial email is consumed, you know you're going to face an uphill battle. On today's episode, we're going to look at the way we currently send commercial email. Are marketers like me killing the golden goose that is email marketing? And what would happen if we flip the existing model on its head? My name's Jared Doyle, and this is The Practical Podcast, where we help startup founders improve the marketing of their business. Hi, and welcome to the episode. Today, I'm joined by Todd Fanot, who is the founder or co-founder of AdCaddy, which is a mobile app that keeps your personal inbox free of brand clutter by giving you a new email address and experience for all those consumer needs. And I guess it sorts out all your junk email, but commercial email. So Todd, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Looking forward to it. So that that intro, that's that's you know, that's me rambling and attempting to explain your product. Can you do a better version of that elevator pitch form and explain to everyone who's listening what AdCaddy actually does? Yeah, absolutely. So the whole idea behind AdCaddy was to remove the consumer brand relationship out of your personal inbox, your email inbox, and into a separate app. So it's a standalone app. The first thing we do when you sign in is give you a new consumer email address. So, you know, for example, I'm Todd at adcaddy.com. When I'm checking out buying something at nike.com and I have to give my email address, I give my consumer email address, which is the adcaddy. And from now on, all of those emails flow into our app, which is a standalone independent app, meaning it doesn't interrupt your personal inbox. And we think that removing this interruption and allowing you to view it on your terms when you're in control, and we give you all the tools to organize and control it, that you'll actually want to engage with brands. And so, you know, that's kind of the gist of it. And we get into, you know, why it's working and, and why it's good for the consumer and the brand. But that's, that's the initial gist. And, you know, just removing that interruption, allowing people to engage in their terms and, and organizing it so it's not frustrating. Yeah, I can totally see the appeal of that. I maybe... I'm probably a bit more tech forward on some things. And so way, way back in 2000, I registered my own domain and, and I've always maintained different email addresses for that exact purpose. You know, so I've got a generic email address that I use. And if anyone, if I sign up to any newsletter, that's the one I give away. I keep my business email address for business purposes. So yeah. is that, that's kind of the start of what AdCaddy does? What does AdCaddy do sort of above and beyond that simple split? Yeah, good question. So the first thing was we wanted to do some high kind of high tech organization for the consumer. So we do six levels of organization. The first way is everything is organized by brand. So as the brands send you emails, there's kind of three key things here. First is the marketing emails, which we'll talk about. And then you get into shipping and receipts. So we first organize by brand and then by any unread. And then within the brand, we kind of jump you into a brand landing page. You have the ability to look at the marketing emails or shipping and receipts. There's a global shipping tab where you can see any shipping notification from any brand that's out there. So for us here in the US, you know, big ones are going to be Amazon, Uber, Venmo, PayPal. As these folks are sending emails in, you know, you, you don't have an option but to get them. But it, again, it keeps it organized. And th- the whole concept started with when you think about being a brand, you have to get your message across to consumers. And it's, it's a very valuable relationship this kind of direct to consumer, you know, the brand being able to talk to them. And if you flip the script on that and talk to a consumer, you say, hey, you know, do you want, if there's some brands out there that you really love and you want to see events they have, new products they have, coupons or promos, would that be interesting? And most, the majority of the time, people are like, absolutely. I want to see that stuff. I just want to see it when I can control it and I want to see it on my time. 
And so that's what we set out to do in separating it out to, into its own app and in a controlled environment by the user actually drives engagement. It's, it's funny, the people that enter a beta test, some of the things they're saying is, look, you know, the first thing is it's great to have my personal inbox personal again. At the same time, it's nice to be able to keep up with brands. I don't miss the coupons. I can see my favorite band, a band is coming into town, any events I want to follow. So it allows you to engage and keep up with these things, again, because it's not interruptive. I love that it's a it's taking a different lens on on something that we assume, right? So the first thing is like I get frustrated by a junk email, but what you've done is you've looked at it slightly, like forty five degree angle, and said it's not that you don't want the email. If you didn't want it, you just unsubscribe. You just don't want it now. It's that idea that it's kind of jumping up and interrupting my day. Like if I get an email right now in the middle of this podcast, that's not the time for me to be getting my Amazon email telling me there's something yeah. new, right? That's this yep. is that's an interruption. I'm going to have a negative brand experience if it pops up and interrupts this or I get a ping in the background. That's a bad thing. Yes. I kind of got that. And it's a slight tangent. I was doing my, my research into the product and I looked at your website. And for those who want to sort of follow it along at home, it's adcaddy, but that's A-D-K-A-D-D-Y.com. And you have got an amazing explainer video ad that you've <laughs> produced and ordered there. So I kind of want to like one, you know, if you're listening, check that out because I think it really explains the core proposition, that problem that I just poorly articulated. But more importantly, from me, from a founder's point of view, I kind of talk just a little bit. I know we didn't, this probably didn't plan to go this way, but that video is great. I mean, how did you go about that? You know, is it super expensive for you to do that kind of video? Because it's, it's polished, it's clear, the message is in there. It really gets across that idea that you're getting interrupted. I want to see my emails, but I want to see them on my time. Did, did you take an agency? I've got all these questions. I wonder yeah. if you can just run us through that process a little bit. Yeah, I will. I actually stumbled into something pretty cool on it. So I've done lots of videos. This is not my first company or first startup. And you know, I've done $100,000 videos in California on the beach. And I've done you know, all types of in infomercials, commercials, you name it. Well, with this, you know, we're, we're more in the scrappy startup piece on this because we know this is going to be a very long-term play for us. And we went to uh, one of the co-founders, Cameron Segala. She went to a, through a friend of a friend, a local comedy club. And, you know, these comedians are brilliant. They're funny. A lot of them are actually into video. And so we met one of them, sat down. He helped write the script because they're just naturally funny. That's how they think. And we told them the problem we're trying to solve. And he came up with the script. We did the whole thing. He, him and his crew came in and filmed it. He brought all his comedian friends over to do it. So everyone in that video is actually a stand-up comedian. And we did the whole thing for 5,000 bucks. If we tried to hire anybody. That, that, is, that is amazing. Like, I mean, like you said, you produce 100,000. I've, I've seen bills at you know, 40, 50, 60,000. That, that's phenomenal value for that quality of a video to come out. It is. And the guys were great that did it. And it, it, just, it worked out really well. And you know, if we sat in a room for a really long time, even no matter how funny we think we are, we're just, we're not stand-up comedians. And so letting these professional folks, you know, grab the problem we're trying to solve and then kind of tell the story through the video, it was a ton of fun. But it was a great learning too to, you know, grab folks you, know, you wouldn't necessarily think about, you know, in a stand-up comedian world that are already in this space. Yeah, I'm a little bit biased because my brother-in-law is an actor and a professional comedian slash clown. And so he gets employed yeah. to do exactly that kind of thing. But I also know, you know, how in demand he is and how, you know, how much yeah. it costs to get someone like that. So I love the way you've, you've modeled that whole thing together. So that video, in terms of your marketing, your outreach, is that, is it mostly positioned as an explainer video so that people have that, I get it moment, and then they can kind of like get on board? 
Yeah, it was. Because, you know, it's hard to talk to people about email marketing. You know, when we first started this, and you mentioned like you would just unsubscribe, we asked busy moms, you know, they get a ton of emails. They got to keep up with them, their kids, the household, sometimes their, their husband. And, you know, we did this competition on send us the most amount of unread emails that you have. And this is good across all marketing when you think about sending on top of this. And one busy mom had 257,000 unread emails. It's just imagine the anxiety, you know, from that. You just, you're like, I'm never going to keep up with this. It's just too much. And when we asked her, why don't you unsubscribe from some of these brands? She's like, well, I need to know when the coupon's coming out or in the event or the new product or whatever it might be. And so, you know, living in that clutter is what we're trying to clean up for both the consumer and the brand. But, you know, that ultimately becomes the problem that, that we're solving here. Great. And so I get that. And I've seen the video. I've looked at the website. And obviously, I had an ulterior motive to check it all out. So, you know, you were going to come on the show. So let's, let's see what it's all about. How do you go about getting that message across quickly? If you're trying to acquire users, yeah. I always find it's difficult. And then, then you've got to drive them to an app install. I would imagine that's a bit of a battle. So I'm, I'm keen to know how you, how you get that message across concisely. Yeah, so I've got a lot of things we past we can go down here from an acquisition perspective. The first one is, you know, especially for you know new startups and just the thought process of this. We're looking at this as a, a seven-year project. This isn't a oh, you know, in twelve months we're going to have twenty million users and sell to Facebook. This, this that's not the goal here. We're solving a big problem. You know, the majority. It's actually more than the majority. It's ninety-nine point nine percent of apps. You know, fail. I mean, it's just a really hard game to play. And it's a it's a long game, but the key here is you know giving the customer a utility that really change not just gives them an experience but changes their life in, in a way that makes it better. And so we didn't want to just go after some cool experience that after ninety days might they might be over. And that's why we give everyone a new email address, and so we can almost immediately stop the inbound traffic that's kind of interrupting and annoying them, and then give them a new platform to view these things. And now they're kind of happy about it. And that's a win-win. So, so we took all this and kind of messaged it through our beta. We just launched out of beta. And you know, to answer your question around customer acquisition, we did the video and then we're going to push that out. We're going to start to work with micro-influencers. So we're doing some things now with some micro-influencers on YouTube. There's some really cool sites out there like FameBit. I don't know if you've heard of FameBit, but you essentially put out like, I would consider a classified. It's like, here's what we're trying to do. And all these influencers come in and say, well, here's the channel I have. I have 50,000 followers or half a million followers. And for this price, I'll help you. And they'll do a video on their own. They'll post it on their channel. And now you have this micro-influencer network. So we're doing that. But we, you know, these types of things, and we're also doing it with some micro-influencers in the organization world. And then we tried and, you know, get out and tell a story like I am today on, these, on this podcast. Because ultimately, we want people to understand why we did this and hear the story behind it and how it can kind of improve them, their, their life going forward. And I think that's going to be our stance. It's not going to be some trick play that we have. And we realize it's a bit longer game to do that. But when we acquire a user, they stick around. They're opening the app eight times a week. They're using their email address a lot. And so I'd rather stick with this long game because having an app that somebody downloads and I get a million downloads overnight, but they don't keep it for 90 days, it isn't valuable to me long-term. So I've kind of got multiple views on that piece of it. But from an acquisition perspective, we're really digging into this kind of micro-influencer where we can tell the brand story of what we're doing and, and what, how we can kind of play a role as a utility in somebody's life. I can see how, I can see that there's a big, barrier to jump in an acquisition but at the same time that's also a massive 
moat that you build around your product. So, yep, you know, it's a big effort to get someone to download an app, switch their email, start to use it. But the more they use it, the bigger that moat is, and it makes it harder for them well, one to leave, but also for somebody else to come and take that business. So I, I love to yeah. hear that, you know, you've got a seven year plan on it. Cause when I first looked at it, I sort of thought to myself, oh man, how are they ever going to get people yeah. to do like, it's going to take ages, but then yep. you kind of, the flip side of that is, yeah, but once you've got somebody and they're using it, they're like, this is now how I deal with email. So yeah, yep. totally That's- on board. I love that strategy. That's exactly right. So let's just talk a little bit about sort of email marketing and, and sort of why it doesn't work at the moment or what 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 you're seeing that isn't working because, you know, email <laughs> marketing is still one of the primary marketing yeah, number one. techniques for most startups. You know, it's like, yeah, acquire some emails and send them out. And even for big businesses, you know, your email database is one of your primary marketing assets. So yeah. what are you seeing there and, and, and how are you kind of going to going to be able to help that or fix it without completely you know you're not you're not a spam filter you're not about chucking everything out correct so how are you going to fix that for people like me who are a marketer don't want you to ruin it yeah and absolutely i mean look to a brand their email list is gold and we don't want to mess that up all we want to do is help them get better engagement so just let's start with some fun facts about email you know there's 2.9 billion email users worldwide so a lot of people on email 70 percent of the emails sent today are from brands and so you think about that, it's just a staggering fact that the majority of emails are promotion, brand, et cetera. And it, it ends up being $118 billion per day or $42 trillion a year. So if you're a marketer and you're thinking, I'm going to send emails out and my open rate's 20%, so I'm just going to keep sending until everybody sees it, you're just part of that $42 trillion. And so you know what we ultimately want to do is give the brand back data to say, Here's what this particular user is looking for in the segmentation so we can be smarter about not just a shotgun approach, but more rifled approach. And so, you know, when I look at what is the most valuable asset, to me, email is king. And we just want to support that. And so I always say, you know, if you're a brand and, and I can offer you 100,000 emails or 100,000 Facebook followers, you're going to take the emails every day, you know, just from an engagement and click and everything from that perspective. And what I'm seeing is as that gets taken advantage of by people that, you know, maybe they're not doing the right thing, they're sending too many, somewhat of an annoyance, you know, there has to be a broker in between to give the customer control so they don't unsubscribe. That's the goal is that they don't unsubscribe, but that brand can keep them moving forward. And so that's really what we're going after here is really to cement email more as king around that by fixing some of the issues. Like, for example, if you just bought a suitcase from Samsonite, you know, do you really need an email marketing another suitcase the next day? You know, it's just that mentality of let the consumer control the conversation. And now everybody's happy because the brand has this engaged user. The brand knows what the user is looking for when they want it. And the consumer is not overwhelmed with clutter because, you know, when, when you like, look, I've started a luxury brand and all I think about is my brand when I'm sending it to that consumer. But on the flip side, that consumer is looking at, thousands of brands. And so we actually call our app a brand relationship manager. So you've heard of CRM, right? Customer relationship Mm -hmm. manager. There's tons of those, but there's no brand relationship managers. And we're just flipping the script to say, yeah, you might be one brand with thousands of customers, but at the same time, you're one customer with thousands of brands and there's no way to manage that relationship. So that's what we're trying to solve here. It's a big problem to solve though. That's why we're giving ourselves a lot of time. And in your experience or maybe testing, are you seeing that brands are getting better results if if people switch their email across to ad caddy do they get better results by going through you or is it a case that they kind of clean up their list a little bit 
you know, it's actually a case where, and we're getting this feedback, people are saying, hey, I'm actually reading my emails now. And this is anecdotal, but I'll give you the real data too. But, you know, and I'm excited to see it because it's, you know, to your point, it's not during a podcast. It's when your kids are asleep, you're on the couch and you have a glass of wine and, and you can relax and kind of shop. We call it a personally curated magazine. It would be like opening a magazine. Every page was your favorite brand with something new and cool to show you. Or you go to a mall and it's only your favorite brands. And so, you know, we're seeing for our engaged users a 70% open rate. It's almost, it's more than 3x as the kind of standard open rate. So it's definitely driving the engagement that we hope for. And we just got to keep plowing away at it. And so, I mean, you know, you don't have to tell me all the secrets of it, but the, the revenue part of your business, who you see it as being that the brands will eventually become your customers and that's where you're going to get revenue from the business? Yeah. So, you know, when you think about growing your email list, there's obviously new customers. So if somebody buys from your website, you're going to get their email. You can ask them to opt in to marketing going forward. But it's very difficult to grow your list beyond that. And so how do you get those customers into the funnel? So today, obviously, you have Facebook targeted ads, Instagram that work very well. We like to say that AdCaddy is the only app that people go to to look at advertising. Right, because we're flipping the script, like you said, and people are coming in there to look at ads because it's on their time and their control, and that turns into our contrarian view. So once they're in, they're actually some of the feedback we've gotten is, "Hey, it'd be cool to discover items in here. I'm here to shop. I'm here to look at brands, be a consumer. People like to consume, and so it's just natural to then do targeted ads. So that will be our our ultimate revenue growth is." giving people what they're asking for is, hey, you're in here, you're looking at different ads. We know the type of stuff you're interested in and you can opt in to look at you know, targeted ads and that'll be our revenue model. I love the idea that, yeah, you, keep, you say it a lot, but it's that idea of flipping the model around and the default position is less ads, less of it. And what you're saying is people don't necessarily want less if they've subscribed, if they've purchased something, they just want it on their own time. They want a little bit more control about when they're in discovering it. And I, yeah. to me, you know, I think about that's one of the advantages that Facebook has over, say, TV. You know, I don't want to be interrupted when I'm watching a TV show. Mm-hmm. But when I open up a Facebook feed, you know, I'm basically flicking through with my thumb saying, hey, Facebook, entertain me. Give me something. <laughs> yeah. And so that's, yeah. you know, in some respects, I'm open. I'm open to the idea. But that's that's a combination, right? I'm open to the idea of seeing pictures from friends and family and some ads. I'm basically looking for some kind of information. Yeah. Yours goes a step further and says, hey, you know, Give me, give me my advertising. I actually do still want this. I want to, I'm a, still a, a you know, red-blooded consumer. So I love the idea and I can imagine that brands would really appeal to, to that kind of idea. Yes, absolutely. I'd love to kind of understand a bit more, just sort of looping back to that acquisition side again. Mm-hmm. How big a barrier is it? I mean, because you're basically becoming like an ISP, like you, you're running these emails. So you're going to have all those similar kinds of issues. So do you then have to like, filter out emails and make sure that you're not getting spam into those email addresses as well. So if I end up with Jared, is it an AdCaddy email address, by the way? It is. Yeah. So yeah. you would be at adcaddy.com yeah. and drive it from there. So we are not an ESP. So we, we work with ESPs. So if you're a brand and you work with, say, MailChimp, you would still send emails through MailChimp to us as a server. So they're typically kind of filtering out that spam and then we're getting from their brands. The thing that we help solve for the ESPs is deliverability. You know, they spend a lot of time on deliverability of emails and, you know, with the connection through us, we can help solve that. Great. So just now thinking a bit, a little bit about your startup journey. So typically, you know, I'm talking to, to marketing professionals and you are a marketing professional, but what I'm, I'm keen to do is just talk a little bit about your, your founder journey and some of the hurdles. Yeah. So 
you mentioned, you know, this is a seven year plan. So that that's straight away that strikes me as an expensive plan, you know, yeah. personally expensive plan. I, I'm just curious to learn a little bit about how you're, I guess, structuring your life and and how you're planning to get through that growth phase because it is a long runway there, seven years to sort of get to that stage of, of success. I wonder yeah. if you can impart some advice around what you've learned so far. I mean, obviously you haven't finished the journey, but so mm. far, what are the, some of the hurdles and what's some of the advice you can give to the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. I knew that this in particular was, was a very large problem to solve. And I wanted to set up the business to be extremely flexible. I didn't want to go the traditional route of, hey, let's go raise $2 million and burn it in 12 to 18 months. And if it doesn't work, then we're done. So I brought on some very strategic co-founders that allowed the business to be flexible. So for example, our co-founder and CTO, Gagan, amazing technologist, he has consulting jobs on the side that pay his bills, and then he works on AdCaddy. So it allows him the flexibility to do both. And then we would pick up somebody that's doing UX, UI and some marketing for us. That's, you know, again, might have a full-time job and then she can do 12 hours on the weekend and 10 hours during the week that she works at night. And so setting it up to where everyone's kind of on a flexible schedule. And then look, we would do swaps for equity in some cases where people were very passionate about what we're working on as am I, and then just keep the business as flexible as possible. And really just think of it as like, how do you get your burn rate to zero on a monthly basis? When you think that way, you'll find a lot of creative solutions. If somebody hands you, let's just say $10 million, you'll find a way to spend it. And that ultimately becomes the problem with a lot of startups too, is, you know, we've pivoted three times. And so you think about, you're talking about the startup journey and what has been some issues. We started with, hey, let's get brands in. And then, you know, once the brands are in, we'll get customers in. That is pretty much an impossible task. It's because it's chicken and the egg. The consumers won't be there with other brands and vice versa. So we kind of had to start pivoting towards, okay, how do we get so many immediate utility and still solve this problem that we're going after? And that's when we kind of pivoted, obviously, to the email piece. But allowing us to be flexible, like, for example, if we had $10 million on that first idea, we would have just tried to force that idea. We just kept pushing money into that you know, initial concept, which would just burn the cash and we'd probably be out of business right now. And so by not having the cash, we had to be scrappy. It forced us to figure it out. And we didn't move too fast in the wrong direction until we knew we had product market fit. So that's kind of where we just kept circulating. And I think sometimes not having cash is a good thing and staying extremely flexible. You know, on a personal level, I have other gigs that essentially pay my bills and it allows me to work on AdCaddy. So I'll just continue to perpetuate that along with AdCaddy and make sure that we're flexible and, you know, we've got right now 12 people working on it. <laughs> so I would tell you our burn rate, I don't really want to share it, but it's extremely low. It's very close to zero, but we've got 12 passionate people working on AdCaddy. So, I mean, it's kind of cool for a startup. And, and, you know, if you find enough friends and family, people want to work on startups. They want to work on cool ideas. They want to work on something that's kind of in the future. So you'd be surprised, like people will want to sign up for your idea and get behind it. So, you know, you got to just focus on money's not going to solve your problems. It could actually go the opposite way and push you in the wrong direction. So until you know, you're just throwing fuel on the fire, money can hurt, but then, you know, be scrappy, start to, you know, network and find people and developers or depending on what your business is, manufacturers, and just start to work out deals. And it's amazing what can happen. I think we've seen that peak all-in startup 
concept is kind of we've kind of reached peak kind of all in in, in the yeah. sense that more and more people now are sort of saying okay the technology wave that was driven by kids of the time who were the only ones who could program and they yeah. could afford to go in because they had less to lose disappearing uh-huh. and the new innovative businesses are being driven by people who actually have domain experience you know that's what they do they've got a really strong idea and often you know successful founders now start well after 30 years old but you know the risk profile there is totally different and you sort of sit there saying well yeah do i need to go all in do i need to work you know 8 12 hours a day or can i do it as a side hustle yeah. and i think what you've described is part of this new kind of professional side hustle it's not to say oh it's it's not like a little i'm going to paint on the side not that painting's yeah. Uh, not yeah. a good pursuit but you know that's a hobby you know it's a small time you are trying to build a large business but what you're saying is rather than go all in risk everything let's take a you know a slow and steady approach considered approach give myself a little bit more time to learn a bit more because sometimes time does reveal mistakes and yep. like you said allows you to do those pivots so yeah. i actually think this is you know this is part of the new trend of the way people are going to start approaching you know, startups and, and, and take their time doing it. So yeah. I like it just because you kind of go, well, if you come at it saying there's a good chance it won't work because that's just the reality of startups and business. <laughs> if I haven't risked everything and I've done something else along the way, then I'm probably not going to spiral into you know deep despair and depression. So yeah, I guess what what's going to be the catalyst for you jumping in? And so at what point do you decide you go all in? Or is this going to be sort of a slow, slow thing where you keep cash burn really low and then just as the business grows, you'll naturally get absorbed more and more into it. Yeah. So, you know, just to back up for a second to prove your point, really, and th- this trend, when you look at venture capital investors now, they're all moving to later stage. So they're basically saying, hey, you need to side hustle this or figure it out with friends and family until you get to a point where it's later stage and then there's plenty of money. And so they're kind of done taking the early risk to your point. So it's, it's really well said. But for me, I feel like I, I only work in my life. I do have four children and a wife and, you know, I love my life, but you know, if I'm not with my family, I'm working and, you know, I I probably put 40 hours into the business. It's just on a different timing than most folks. So I, you know, for me, all in would be when probably when we go to series A and do a really large round to, to throw a lot of fuel on the fire and get it rolling. So we're doing a small raise right now. And, uh, you know, I always tell investors, Hey, I'm not a developer you don't need me 80 hours a week on this. Let's use the money to do customer acquisition and the next technology stack build, whatever we're going to do. So I always just kind of look at it as an opportunity cost too. And when you're talking to these investors, you start talking about this seven-year plan and this is how we're going to grow the business up. Where do you present email marketing and promotional marketing in seven years time? What's your vision of where that space is going to move to and how do you position your company to be in that right space? Yeah. So I really talk about the consumer brand relationship and how right now email is king, but the exception of, you know, you, you brought up Facebook and Instagram, they're obviously, them and Google are the digital advertising kind of winners, if you will, because email is kind of like the internet, it just happens. <laughs> and the only people making money on it is really the ESPs or if you're an agency creating the emails. So the way we kind of pitch this is, you know, if you think about what email is doing there needs to be this direct relationship. So we're pitching it more as a platform similar to LinkedIn. And then once you have this connection on the platform, it it just, it kind of cements itself, like I said earlier, around being the number one way to communicate with your audience. You know, because the problem, you know, you brought up Facebook and it is nice because you are, let's say you're on there just to kind of kill some time. 
and it's just, Hey, entertain me whenever I can, whether it's my friends or an ad, but you know, when it comes to the, your actual brands and, and managing that relationship, we believe it needs to be a separated platform. So you can, when you're ready, focus on that relationship. We kind of compare ourselves to Slack from that perspective. You know, they separated out the collaboration and co-working from email. They said, hey, look, we're going to remove that aspect from email, putting it standalone and people are going to collaborate, you know, in our app. And it's done exceptionally well. I, we use Slack. We love it. It works. We're basically saying we think we need to remove this relationship for the consumer brand from email, even though it's still quote unquote an email into a separate app and stand alone and let them manage it a different way. So that's kind of how we see it. And we think without something like our technology, email will start a downward trend. You know, back to my point on 42 trillion emails a year, it's just going to turn into such clutter that people are going to ignore it and just literally push it off to a separate tab through some other technology that already exists today and they'll never look at it. And then once brands have a extraordinarily low engagement rate, they're going to start asking and demanding your phone number in order to check out. And now they're going to text you. And you're like, do you really want to text from a brand? Like I said, capitalism can't exist without marketing. So they're going to find a way to get the message. So look, you're not going to avoid it. You might as well be in control of it. And that's really our belief is there has to be this brand relationship manager, a broker in between the brand and the consumer that is controlled by the consumer. And once it is, and again, that's flipping the script, the brand will actually be excited about it. And so, again, I think it's just being honest. If you're a brand, be honest with the customers, see what they want, see what their desires are. If the intent is I'm going to shotgun approach this kind of annoyance as much as I can, it'll eventually kind of bite you. And you can tell the brands that are really smart and strategic around it. And then, you know, like one I really respect here in Atlanta, Georgia, or in the United States is a company called Big Green Egg. Do you guys have Big Green Egg in Australia? No. So what's the name of it again? Big Green Egg. They, um, Big Green Egg, no. These large ceramic grills, they're great for smoking. They're, they're fantastic. But, you know, their marketing folks send about one email a month. They're just very strategic on what they send. And they have almost 2x, you know, their, their similar competition on, on brand engagement for, on email. So I, I just think there's a good lesson there and thinking through, and there's probably plenty of data and a brand CRM to start to be smart about how they segment the audience. But just thinking on the sense of, hey, I'm not going to send you an email every day because I know you only open every fifth one. I'm going to ask you when you want it and how you want it. That problem has to be solved or we're going to have a bigger issue on our hands on, on how this connection works. Yeah, there's that common saying that whenever marketers get hold of something, they ruin it. And unfortunately, yeah. the economics of it don't bode well for email because the actual cost of sending an email is so low incrementally. And unfortunately, the reward for sending a second or a third email on the same day, which really is uncalled for, still yeah. says you can make more. Whatever, you know, the, the $1 yeah. a thousand emails that MailChimp charge you just isn't enough of a cost to make you go, I won't send that extra email. Yep. So you do, you do, you stop, you say, what if, what if I had to, what if the cost of MailChimp actually was really expensive? What if it was taxed? Yeah. You know, what if, what if it was yeah. a revenue raising exercise <laughs> for the internet, you know, yes. or, or conversely, what if it was the other way? And it was like, if someone didn't open up your email after five cents, that they were automatically unsubscribed. I mean, I would hold as a marketer and I can, you know, I'll put my brutal marketing hat on, you know, I'll send lots of emails because I know the more I send, the more money I'm going to make. But Turn that around and say, 
what if after five sends they didn't open, they were automatically opted out of a mailing list? I'd go, oh, actually, I'm going to be really careful what I'm going to send now. Yeah. So, yeah, I, oh, the, yeah, I agree. We are running into a risk. And then I think you rightly pointed out, you know, next thing you do is you get a text message. And, and i got to say, when I get a text message, you know, an SMS and it comes through, and it's a commercial. I mean, I get irritated because that's not Man. what text is for, you know? Yeah. Like I get really yeah. angry about that. So yeah. I think you're playing in a really interesting space. And you know, it's a difficult one though. You know, I will say, Very. you know, any kind of disruptive play like this, where or in fact it's almost, you know, fully innovative in the way it's a whole new paradigm on the way to deal with email, you know, there's a lot of upside and there's a lot of risk. So I, I'm going yeah. to, as a marketer, I'm going to intriguingly follow the way you work, the way you grow the business, because I think you know, acquisition onboarding is going to be tough, but I'm like, I'm kind of keen to see how you solve that and you, you yeah, rally to that yeah. challenge. Mm-hmm. So do you have any, I guess, parting words of wisdom for anyone who's either a founder and you kind of want to give them a little bit of advice or you probably already given your best bits of advice already or, or maybe just when yeah. it comes to sort of email marketing that someone could take on board? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think, you know, what I always like to talk about and give even advice to myself to constantly remind is, just solve a problem for a customer, you know, and it's also known as product market fit, but, you know, just make sure that, you know, no matter how brilliant your idea you think might be, how do you keep kind of converting it into exactly what the customer wants? Cause they're always going to look at things a little bit differently and, you know, just keep heading towards getting consumer feedback and input and then iterating through the product until you have a good fit that really adds value to their life or utility to their life in a major way. Otherwise, it might be a flash in a pan or they're not going to use your product, you know, for more than said number of days or months. So, yeah, I think just constant focus on the customer product market fit for them and how you can add value and utility to their life. That's critical. Great. Now, Todd, I know that AdCat is only available in the States at the moment. So I guess, you know, for those people in the US listening, they can head along to adcaddy.com and, and click on the links and download the app and give it a try. For people outside of the US, of which we'll have a few of those, if they want to sort of follow your journey, what's the best place to sort of find you online? Yeah, so we're at adcaddy.com, A-D-K-A-D-D-Y. We're also on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, so you can follow us on any of the social channels. And then we will be in Australia and Europe very soon, so you'll, we'll make those announcements on our social channels. So you'll be able to download it very soon looking forward to it todd thank you so much for your time and your words of wisdom which i've i've really enjoyed and i'm sure everyone listening has as well excellent thank you it's been great thanks for listening to this week's episode i hope we were able to provide you with some great marketing ideas that'll really help your business as always if you'd like to support me and the show just jump onto itunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast and rate and review Those reviews really make a difference and help me reach a broader audience. If you'd like to connect, the best way to find me, of course, is on LinkedIn, following me on social media, or just connecting. And if you've got ideas for future episodes or you're a marketer and you would like to appear in a future episode, just hit me up on LinkedIn as well. I'd be happy to have a chat. Thanks a lot. And I look forward to speaking with you next week.